Greetings, brothers and sisters. We will be continuing our passage from 1 Peter today. But let us begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to deal with the topic today with care as we listen to your word. Help us to hear what Peter is saying as if these are your very words and obey them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a man called Jack who went jogging up a hill one day. It had rained earlier and the path was slippery. As Jack was passing by the edge of a cliff, his foot slipped and he fell down to the side of the cliff. Jack reached out and managed to grab a branch that was sticking out. Thus, we find Jack hanging onto a branch for dear life as he found himself in great danger. Taking a moment to realize that he cannot climb back up by himself, Jack cried out for help. Hello? Is anyone there? I'm stuck here and I need your help, please. In a moment, a voice returned, seemingly coming from everywhere. Jack, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you. I'm down here. I can see you, Jack. Are you all right? Yes, but who are you and where are you? I am the Lord, Jack. I am everywhere. The Lord? You mean God? That's me. God, help me. I promise that if you get me down from here, I'll stop sinning. I'll be a really good person and serve you the rest of my life. Easy on the promises, Jack. First, let's get you down. Then we can discuss those. I'll do anything, Lord. Just tell me what to do, okay? Okay, let go of the branch. What? I said, let go of the branch. Just trust me, let go. But won't I die if I fall down? Yes, Jack, but you can trust me that I will make everything okay in the end. There was a long pause as Jack thought of that offer. In a moment, however, Jack let out a loud yell. Hello? Hello? Is there anyone else up there? In many ways, that seems to sum up how many of us deal with situations that requires us to put our trust in God when it comes to impending suffering. We prefer to not trust God's word and instead look to other means to escape our predicament. Think about it. If God calls us to suffer, will we trust him and let go? Or will we be like Jack and look for someone else to give us plan B that better suits how we want to live our lives? Now, throughout our journey to 1 Peter, we have seen the situation that the early church was in. Christians were spread out and were in many different cities. They were treated with distrust and reviled because they lived a different life than the world around them. Throughout this all, Peter tells Christians to be willing to suffer for the sake of God's glory. Peter points us to Christ as our example and tells us that we too are to partake in the suffering of Christ as we die to the flesh and live for God. So, what is this theology of suffering that Peter is teaching Christians? Let's come to our text. We come to verse 12 and immediately we are reminded not to be surprised at the fiery trials that we come in the life of Christians. This phrase here can be translated as the painful trial that burns among you. And in some sense, to the people who, to whom this letter is addressed to, it will bring a memory of the stories of martyrdom that they would have heard of Christians being burnt alive for their faith. 
This term fiery trial, therefore, is a double allusion. It points to both the idea of Christian martyrdom that is born of a deep, unwavering faith, as well as to what the Bible says on how God's people are made holy in the same way as gold purified by fire. More than the fierceness of the fire, the emphasis is that we should look at the purifying power of this fire that takes in impure gold and makes it into gold that is worthy to be molded into jewellery. Living a faithful Christian life, as Peter has explained, will come hand in hand together with rejection by the world that will hate and malign Christians because they do not participate in the flood of debauchery and sin. So by being people who seek to abstain from the desires of the flesh that God calls sin, Christians are seen by the world as enemies and will therefore be subject to persecution and trials. And so this is why Peter reminds them here, do not be surprised. There is a cause to following Jesus. Jesus himself said that the world will hate you because it hated him. So Christians should expect suffering for following Christ. But at the same time, we are told to see this fiery trial as a test to refine us and purify us. Verse 3 then brings about an sorry, verse 13 then brings about an even more shocking statement. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. Now, we are all already deeply challenged by the very idea that becoming a Christian means bringing suffering to your doorstep. Now it gets worse. We are told to rejoice in that because as we suffer, Peter tells us that we share in the sufferings of Christ. However, let's not get the wrong idea. Christians are not called here to be masochists who love pain, but rather Peter helps to put our perspective correctly by pointing us to the reason why we rejoice and are glad in our suffering. It is because through this suffering, God's glory is revealed. Now, there is a story of a few women who read in Malachi that he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Now, curious to understand this, they went to a smithy to observe for themselves how silver is refined. As they watched the silversmith work, he explains to them, that the silver had to be held in the middle of the fire where the flames are at its hottest so that the impurities are burnt away. In the same way, we can imagine God holding us to the hottest part of the flame to change our heart, to remove our sinful self so that that which is not worthy of heaven is burnt away. While God has saved us while we are in sin, his plan is to refine us and bring us to heaven as holy people who have been tempered in the fire and our impurities removed from us. Suffering then is a tool that this master crafter uses to mold us. The lady then noticed that the silversmith was sitting in front of the great heat and during the hot blast of fire and asked him, why? Why not just leave it, go to an air-conditioned room and come back later? The man answered that he has to be there to keep an eye on the silver. If the silver was left too long in the fire, it will be destroyed. The woman was silent for a moment. Then she asked the silversmith, How do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her, looked her into the eyes and answered, Oh, that's easy. When I see my image in it, 
Friends, our suffering is how God brings out His image in us. It is suffering that grows our character and molds us more and more into the likeness of Christ, into the likeness of our Maker Himself. If even a silversmith is careful with his mere metals, how much more would our Creator watch over us even as we are put in that fiery trial? So we can trust Him that whatever happens, He is there. Now, I should clarify here that Peter is talking particularly about the suffering that comes because one is being faithful to Christ instead of the general suffering that occurs merely because we live in a broken and sinful world. This is the suffering that comes from persecution and not the general sufferings of life. So we want to be applying this correctly to our understanding. However, even in our general suffering, such as disease or loss of loved ones, as we seek to continue in trusting in God, many of the truths mentioned here would still apply to us. Now we then come to verse 14, which takes this idea of suffering and points it to one example, namely being insulted for the name of Christ. This, sorry, that is, this is the suffering that comes in the form of mocking, verbal abuse and slander that happens because you're a follower of Christ. In Paul's times, Christians were slandered and mocked for simply being Christians. Their religion was considered strange. There was no idols and God is invisible, which people took to mean that Christians were atheists. They rejected the sinful desires of the flesh and refused to participate in the things that makes up the core of the society. Christians were misunderstood. They were taught to practice cannibalism because they come together to eat the body of Christ. They were accused of being incestuous because husband and wives were brothers and sisters in Christ. Similarly, we too see the same things today, don't we? If we go to a party or an after-work drinking session and abstain from drinking too much and choose to drink alcohol moderately, we are considered party poopers. They will then try to top up your cup, one more for the road, which you will decline because one more will become two more and then three more. And as you do that, they will get offended. You get labelled boring, crude, arrogant. Christians are bigots if they don't support same-sex marriage. Christians are sexist if they say we shouldn't have female pastors. Christians are backwards if they say sex is only for marriage. Christians are fundamentalists if they believe that the Bible is God's word. On and on the accusation goes. However, if you are doing this because you want to hold on to the name of Christ, then what Peter says here is that you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God, the Holy Spirit Himself, dwells in you. We are continually strengthened and refreshed even as we suffer, so that through all this, God, the great refiner, will see His image reflected on the surface of our character. We are blessed because God is with us even when we suffer for His namesake. So then we come to verse 15. And Peter pauses the train of thought to remind us of something important. We are to suffer for Christ's sake and not because we are despicable or bad. Sometimes we think people hate us because we are Christians. And unfortunately, it can actually be because we can be rude, obnoxious and unloving to people around us. So Peter reminds us, don't be someone whose reason for suffering is the evil they do. 
Don't let these things be your identity. Don't be a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Instead, be a Christian. Now, we may miss this today, but back during the time when Peter was writing this letter, the term Christian is not a good title. It was a term that was used mockingly to make fun of Christians. The term Christian means little Christ, but it was used with a mocking tone. Tactisus, a historian from that period, wrote, by vulgar appellation, they were commonly called Christians. So while to us it seems obvious not to be called a murderer of a thief, Peter is saying that there are different ways to be mocked, and being Christian is one of them. For the world in general, being Christian is not too different from being a troublemaker, a thief, or a murderer. Yes, there are different degrees of being ostracized by the community, but they are all ostracized the same because they are all seen as troublemakers who don't fit in within the community. So just like these criminals, Christians too do not fit in. But don't look at how rejected by the world you are, but look more closely on why you are being rejected. Be rejected because you are a faithful Christian who does not join in the world to participate in the flood of debauchery. That rejection is a good rejection. Do not be ashamed of this kind of suffering because it means you are doing things right. This suffering is the fruit of your faithfulness and the fire through which you become more like your creator. This suffering therefore tells us that we are on the right path. Now, there may be some of you who have not tasted the suffering and are right now wondering, uh, but Dinesh, what if my life is good and I'm not suffering for my faith? That's a good question. To answer that, we need to reflect on our life and ask some tough questions. Are there more Christian things that you can do that can lead you to suffering that you have decided not to do in order to be accepted? Maybe you can push for a more Christian agenda at the workplace. Maybe you can make it a point to read the Bible openly in the office during your lunch break. Or even better, maybe you can ask your colleagues if they want to read the Bible with you during your lunch break. And while you're thinking of that, why not try to start a Bible study at work? So if you see, if you think you do have it too easy, then there are still things that you can do to be more faithful. Or maybe you are already as faithful as you can be in your workplace and among your friends and family. Perhaps you have tried, but it didn't work. And people are still nice to you and don't hate you. If that is you, then yes, you're very fortunate. But here's the thing. Eventually, your faithfulness will bring about suffering as new opportunities surface for you to preach the message of rejection of sin and seeking Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. When that happens, Peter would tell you, don't be surprised. So whether it is trying to be faithful at work or remembering to share the gospel with your non-Christian family and relatives or bringing up Jesus when you are hanging out with your friends, will you do it faithfully enough that people will judge you for it? If you have been doing the best that you can and there is no persecution, then perhaps what you can do is talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ for advice. Maybe you are so set in what is comfortable that you unknowingly don't challenge yourself. But what about those of you who feel that you can't do this, that the cost is too high and you don't have the courage to do it? Perhaps your workplace is strongly anti-Christian. Perhaps your boss has called you aside and warned you. Perhaps your family is angry and want to disown you. 
Perhaps your friends are starting to have enough of your Christian mumbo-jumbo and are not inviting you to hang out with them. What do you do then? Firstly, do not despair. Recognize that what you need is wisdom and strength to figure it out. This requires you to eagerly pray then for God to guide you, to help you and to strengthen you and to bless you. The moment you start to get anxious and upset and want to fix things by relying on your own power, your own strength, you have missed the point of this suffering and what it is meant to produce. To produce faithfulness to God, you need to learn to rely on God, to trust Him. So forget about your worries and come to God in prayer. Learn to soak yourself in the things of God so that it will permeate you so deeply that you can't help but do all things for God's glory. Then and only then, you will see that whatever the difficulties, however scary being faithful to God is, you will be strengthened to do it because the spirit of glory and of God does rest in you. Now, in verse 17, Peter mentions that judgment begins at the household of God. This can be a bit hard to understand. Malachi tells us that Christ will come to his own people to purify and purge them. He comes as refiner's fire, like fuller's soap, to sanctify them. It is this refining judgment that is being referred to here. This is the fiery trial that we have seen earlier in this passage. The point that Peter is making here is this. If God's people, whom God loves, is to be tested in such a fiery manner, then how much more? Will the severity of judgment look like for those who persist in rejecting the gospel? If God is not going to spare his own people from suffering, then what more those who declare themselves enemies of God? In this sense, verse 18, which is a quote from Proverbs 11.31, is reiterating the same point. If the righteous is saved through suffering and fire, what then is to become of the ungodly and sinner? This, therefore, should motivate us to endure our sufferings for the sake of the gospel, so that those who are living for the flesh can have the hope of suffering in the flesh by hearing the gospel. Finally then, Peter comes to verse 19 to offer words of comfort. Let all those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to God, who is the faithful creator. This reminds us that God is faithful. He will not abandon us and will be with us even unto the end. And at the same time, He is also the Creator who has the ability to bring back even the dead to life and restore justice to those who have suffered even to the point of death. While our suffering can be hard to comprehend and even harder to accept, we are to know who God is and put our trust in him even to the point of death. So having looked at the passage, one good question to ask is, what does this passage teach us that is new? Imagine it, if your Bible was missing today's passage, what would you have missed out? From the earlier chapters, we already know suffering comes to Christians. We already know that non-believers need us to endure our suffering and be faithful in bringing the gospel to them despite their rejection of us. So what is new? It is the fact that we are told not to be surprised by suffering. This is not only talking about our response to suffering, but also our mindset towards suffering. It is not so much teaching us not to be surprised, 
but to expect suffering if we are faithful. How often do we make our decision based on what we predict the outcome to be? We will choose the part that we like and not the part of suffering. We act as if suffering is something to run away from at any cost, even at the cost of not being faithful. Oftentimes, this is a good thing. After all, we are not called to mindlessly chase after suffering. However, with what Peter teaches us here, can you see that above choosing what is the most expedient choice, we must also consider what is the most faithful choice. Thus, if we have an option between a faithful part that leads to suffering and an unfaithful part that leads to an easier life, we must choose the part of suffering, the narrow road. This needs to be done because those who are perishing will be judged even more harshly than the fiery trials that God used to refine Christians. For those who reject the gospel, they too will be burned in the fire. But not for the sake of being refined, but rather they will be burned for destruction because they have rejected the gospel that can save them. Therefore, Christians must choose the path of faithfulness and endure their suffering so that there is a chance for others to hear the gospel and come to salvation. Christians thus are the stewards of salvation that offer those who are perishing a way out of the fires of judgment. As we worked throughout the passage, we have thought through examples of how that can look like for us. But we can also see through history how seriously Christians took the willingness to suffer for the sake of Christ. The Nicene Council, was a very important Christian council held during the 4th century to affirm the apostolic teaching and to reject heresy. Now imagine that this council was held like one of our conferences today and you are the person who is seated at the welcome and registration desk. As each of the 318 delegates comes to you to register, you will notice that almost every one of them are lacking an eye or a hand, or come in limping on legs lame by torture for the Christian faith. As this procession of church leaders, almost everyone bearing the scars of their faith, pass by your registration deck, how would you feel? They were willing to suffer for the sake of their faithfulness to Christ. And it is thanks to them that the gospel was preserved and false teaching were rejected, so that we, who were once sinners, and deserving of that fiery judgment of God, of an eternity in hell, can instead find forgiveness and salvation. What would have happened if they had rejected the idea of suffering for the sake of Christ? What then is our response as people who inherit the same faith that they had? Seeing that scene, would you still feel tempted to compromise on your faith for an easier life? Would we be satisfied with our status quo for the sake of preserving our jobs, our relationships? Or will we be willing to endure the fiery trial that God uses to make us more like them, more like Christ? This is the question that Peter asks you today. And I ask you, friends, to dwell on that as we close in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a difficult thing to do, to welcome suffering, to trust in you, to choose the hard part, to be willing to face this suffering, all for the sake of 
bringing the gospel to others, all for the sake of growing more like Christ. And yet we are told, Father, to trust in you and go ahead. Lord, we confess this is difficult for us. So please strengthen us by the Spirit. Lead us down this path. Help us to do what you have asked us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.